Okay, I think we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, welcome to ATARC's Thursday After Lunch webinar series. Uh, today we're going to be talking about reaching constituents effectively through machine learning and automation during COVID-19. My name is Tom Suter. I'm the founder of the Advanced Technology Academic Research Center. Um, welcome to all of our attendees. Special thanks to Alec Buchbaum, uh, Peter Duran, and the rest of the Acquia team. They've been a great partner. We've been working with them for, for years uh, and uh, fantastic. Uh, so what we're going to do is hear from our panelists today. We're going to have some Q&A. We're going to pop a poll question or two on you and then um, answer your questions. So if all my panelists can uh, come online, get them the audio and the and the visual going, we'll get this we'll get this thing going. So we'll uh, maybe we'll go through introductions real quick. Um, and we'll start. I, I know we got Hollywood Squares. I don't know where everybody is, so I'll just call call you out. I, don't know, I can't say to my left because I don't know where that is. Welcome, all these bright and shiny faces. But uh, uh, good morning, Chakib. How are you doing? Good afternoon, Tom, uh, and thank you for the opportunity. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, well, my name is Chakib Shraby. I'm chief data scientist at uh, uh, NTIS, the National Technical Information Service, which is uh, an agency. U.S. Department of Commerce, and uh, in my role, I provide data science and uh, computer science expertise uh, to governmental agency in harnessing um, emerging and innovative technologies, uh, outcomes, and deliver data-driven solution within the NTIS framework. Thank Fantastic. you. Fantastic. I'll uh, Jeff definitely jump back to you and get get some more comments from you, and then uh, we have to my my right, whatever that is for everybody else, but uh, Sanjay Gupta with SBA. How are you doing this morning? Hello, good morning and uh, glad to be here, Tom. And uh, uh, Sanjay Gupta, I'm the Chief Technology Officer with the Small Business Administration. Uh, and uh, as part of my portfolio, it's about innovation and improving customer experience and customer service. And we'll talk more about it during the yeah. next 60 minutes. So glad to yeah. be here, Tom. Yes, and are you in your office? I mean, you kind of, is that your home office or the real office? It kind of uh, looks my like- My home a, office, yeah. Yeah, you got, it looks like my office. It's like got a lot- <laughs> Paper around. We're still doing paper. Yeah. Um, next up, we'll uh, we'll reach over to uh, Gustavo Lamone. Hi, good I, afternoon, I, Tom. Gustavo. I'm sorry. Did I get your name right? Yeah, you absolutely did. Thank you. Good, good, good. And, and Gustavo is the NOAA CDM Program Manager's Cybersecurity Division Office of the Chief Information Officer at uh, NOAA. And how are yeah, you doing today? I'm doing great, thank you. So. Yeah, yeah. And where are you working today? Are you over in Maryland by headquarters? Uh, no, actually, I'm uh, I'm working at home. Okay, great, great. And we also have with us uh, Kathy McNeil, Director of Artificial Intelligence at the Center for Excellence at Technology Transformation Services at uh, GSA. How are you doing today, Kathy? I'm doing great, Tom. Thanks so much for having us. Uh, we appreciate it. Yeah, no, no problem. And and are you uh, are you in Maryland, Virginia side, or you're in I'm our on the side in my home office, uh, toiling away, trying to put up best practices in support of our agency partners. Yeah, fantastic. Um, well, anyway, let's, uh, what, we're, what we intend to do is let everybody have a chance to kind of talk about what they're doing inside of their agencies. And uh, we'll go ahead and start off with Sanjay, if you don't mind, Sanjay. Tell us, you've been a little bit busy, I guess, with this summer with SBA. It's not exactly a few things going on over there. Yeah, not really very busy, of course. You know, just a few days and nights just blended together. That's all right. It's par for the course uh, when you have IT or technology in your title or somewhere in your portfolio. So anyways, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, so high level, let's just kind of give you a quick overview of some of the uh, parameters that we at the SPA were working in. Uh, as some of the audience people may remember, uh, SPA is one of the uh, agencies at the forefront of the economic recovery response through the three, uh, two main programs, PPP, Paycheck Protection Program, and the Economic Injury, Economic Disaster Injury uh, Loan Program, IDLE. So, so anyway, let me just kind of give you a little background on this and then hopefully set the context of what were the challenges we were facing and how we use automation, AI, and ML in, in helping drive and improve customer experience for the SBA's customers. Uh, which is basically a large group of the uh, United States small business population. So in terms of numbers, let me just kind of give you some broad numbers to begin with. Uh, back in uh, January, February timeframe, the SBA is a size of an organization. It's a usually, relatively smaller size CFO Act agency. 
Uh, since then, we've been growing in terms of staff, both feds and contractors. We are roughly about four to five times that size, and we continue to grow. That's part of our disaster support mission, where we continue to add staff there. Uh, and the reason I bring that up is because obviously we are in a 99 plus percent uh, telework status. So we're talking about onboarding people and having them work and be capable to produce what they need to produce from a job standpoint. And obviously there's a lot of factors in play here and how we were innovative in looking at options in ensuring that our cybersecurity posture was maintained while we were allowing people to work from their remote locations, home offices or whatever that might be. And I'll talk more about it uh, during the course of the, the discussions here as well. The second aspect I wanna kind of share about is uh, the, the loan wall, uh, volume. Um, so for some of you who may know, SBA has been in, uh, in existence as an agency for 67 years. And a disaster program has been also going on for 67 years. And so the number of loans, both the count as well as the dollar value they represent in the entire 67 year history of uh, SBA coming into the COVID crisis in March, uh, we have exceeded both the counts and the dollar value in the first roughly three to four months of the COVID response. So that gives you a sense of the volume and the velocity of transactions that we were dealing with and we continue to deal with, right? And last, I wanna kind of give you a sort of a sense in terms of the outreach to our customers uh, we have had nearly 300 million emails go out through our, our gov delivery platform uh, in response to you know, communicating, uh, informing, and sharing information. And that's roughly a period of about 12 months. But more important to that is what is called as something as an engagement rate. And simply put, that's uh, the, the click-through rate. Uh, on an average, uh, or the medium, is usually about 40%. And we've been hitting about a 74%. Uh, click-through rate or engagement rate, uh, obviously because this is a, a topic of interest and, and certainly not considered you know, spam, if you will. Uh, so those were the parameters that we were working with. Now, let me kind of give a little bit uh, over the next minute or two, just uh, how we address some of these issues uh, in terms of uh, using the, the modern cloud-based foundation that we had laid out at the SPA back in 2017 and onwards. But specifically, let me talk about one example, which may be hopefully very illustrative. So like more of the, most agencies and organizations, we had email-based uh, customer support, if you will, uh, uh, capabilities. And obviously those uh, email boxes were exceeding their capacity fairly quickly, uh, actually in the mid-March timeframe as well, even before the CARES Act was enacted. So we set in motion kind of a three-phase approach. The first phase was simply a 24-hour solution that got us uh, the ability to kind of keep replicating mailboxes and increasing the mailbox size. But more importantly than that, we used a case management system to start harvesting these inbound emails and putting them into a workflow system and applying natural language processing and other ML AI kind of techniques in, in understanding sentiment, in understanding the trends and being able to use the information to inform what we needed to do in our program. So that's just one example. And there's many, many more examples probably I can talk about like chatbot implementation. Uh, we use that because the volume of the calls we were receiving was just far exceeding anybody's imaginations and everything else. But certainly I'll kind of pause at this point here, Tom, and kind of let the other panelists also talk about it, and then uh, certainly dive more deeper into that uh, in the following conversation. So back to you, Tom. Thank you. Thank you. And I, actually, I need to introduce our, our good friend, Peter. I Sorry about that. I, when you look at the chat, you find it, you just did Believe me, I, I was on a, I muted myself for three minutes once and was talking and I didn't notice. So this is the second worst mistake that I've made. Sorry about that, Pete. How are you doing today? Oh, no worries. Yeah, I'm doing pretty well and uh, good afternoon. And I really appreciate all the, uh, the panelists uh, joining. Yeah, my name is Peter Durand. I'm the Vice President of Acquia's uh, Federal Practice. Been with the organization, excuse me, been with Acquia for a little over eight years. Um, today, we operate the, the world's largest uh, open source digital experience platform, uh, which really began on Drupal and lives in the cloud. And we have so many federal organizations that have taken that route and are you know, leveraging our platform all the way from IRS.gov to, to NOAA to Treasury. So it's, uh, it's been pretty exciting to see how open source has, has really taken off. And I uh, love the conversation that uh, we're all having here about uh, you know, machine learning and things like AI starting to impact the digital experience. So thanks, Tom. No problem. I'm going to get, I'm going to get back to you. Just, you know, hammer me over the head if I forget again. Sorry about that. Um, next up, we'll have uh, 
and I'm going to get back to you, Peter, on your thoughts about the IDEA Act. Uh, but we'll move over to GSA and Kathy, and uh, really want to get caught up on the latest that you you all are doing there. You know, not everybody understands the Center for Excellence, but it, I know you're doing great work across government. I've seen a few other agencies that you're working with, as well as the Jake, which is a, a big one. Thank you for coming today. Sure. So, um, as Sanjay had said, um, we see a, a lot of uptick in modernization as a result of remote workforce, and that's where I'm going to start. Centers of Excellence, um, we are um, instantiated to help agencies modernize their technology. We have five verticals, for those of you who do not know. Obviously, we have artificial intelligence because I represent that vertical here. We also have data and analytics. We have a cloud um, instantiation. We also have contact center and we have a customer experience vertical there. So what we are empowered to do is enable agencies and in conjunction with our industry partners, help modernize technology platforms. That's our mission. Uh, we sit within GSA and support GSA, one of GSA's verticals to do that. From an AI and machine learning perspective, uh, what we see across government, Jake, you mentioned specifically, Tom, but there are many agencies that are very hungry for AI and machine learning capabilities. Um, one of the opportunities we see is that um, with this advanced technology, and it is an advanced technology, um, a lot of the base capabilities that you need in order to leverage the advanced capabilities need to be instantiated. Cloud services, for example, uh, we guesstimate in the neighborhood of about 80% of all of the capabilities available from an AI, ML, and even robotics process automation are cloud-enabled technologies. So agencies need to be focused on having some sort of a cloud footprint um, available to them so that they can leverage that. The other thing that we see, and I think probably um, Shakib may speak to this a little bit too, is that a lot of agencies are excited about AI or machine learning, um, but have some um, opportunity to really look at their data first. Um, and we need, really need to help them look at how their data works, where their data is, how they're gonna aggregate it. So we need to step back and start to really take a look at those um, analytics capabilities there before we can actually instantiate artificial intelligence. So, that said, that was a lot to say in a small amount of time, Tom. Um, and there's so much dimension to artificial intelligence. Yeah. So oftentimes people say, well, how do I start? Our perspective is to say to agencies, let's look at a problem. Let's see if it's ripe for artificial intelligence and let's start. It is an iterative process. Machine learning in and of itself is iterative. Think about when you go to school and you start in elementary school, you go to first grade and you learn to read and then second grade, you get more advanced and third grade, even more advanced as you learn. Machine learning is exactly the same process. So we need to iterate through that. Pick a problem. Centers of excellence are able and willing to help us and agencies think through what is a good problem to solve using AI and machine learning and let's do it. Great. Thank you for that. And uh, Shakib, if you don't mind uh, letting us know what's going on over, over at NTIS. Absolutely. Uh, I would like to make a couple of points first, um, but even though Katie stole off my, some of my thunder today. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, Shakib. <laughs> you took half my but, questions too. <laughs> but uh, uh, just to put th things in, con uh, in context, I want to talk a little bit about what NTIS does, the National Technical Information Service, which is an agency within the uh, US Department of Commerce. Because our mission is to provide innovative data services uh, to federal agency in order to uh, achieve mission outcomes, address federal data priorities, and enable operational excellence. So, um, and, and the way we do it, and that's what Cathy was mentioning as well, is that um, is to really true innovation. Uh, I think this is going to resonate among a lot of uh, people in the audience. Uh, the, we operate actually outside the FAR, the Federal Acquisition Regulation. And, uh, and our framework is based on a Fed-to-Fed -fed, uh, cooperation for data science innovation, 
uh, through partnership with, uh, with industry, uh, nonprofit, academia, research centers, etc., to address national data challenges. So we currently have a project uh, with, with Jake, uh, DHS, HHS, VA, Department of Energy, Department of Labor, and others, and I can go on. Um, based on this project that we've been working on, uh, the, uh, the silver lining of the global pandemic is that it really accelerated digital transformation in the public sector. Um, so we learned that digital technology, uh, the IT infrastructure, and the data infrastructure are truly critical uh, to enable uh, business, business resiliency and, and, uh, and, con and uh, continuity for government agency, as they have sometimes to adapt suddenly, that's what happened, unfortunately, in these difficult times, uh, while still providing and delivering uh, on their mission. So what, uh, uh, so, and, and the, the goal that we, when we work with the federal agency, like, uh, so th the way we proceed is exactly what Katie said. Uh, we try to find out what, what is the, do you have any problem, any, any, uh, 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 any issues that you, you want to address? And we try to, uh, uh, once we get the, 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 the problem, we focus on that, how to address the pain point of any agency. But we look at it within the federal data strategy uh, uh, umbrella. So, uh, so and, and the point that I wanna make is that, and it's, it's very important for any agency to, uh, to grapple with, is that uh, if you wanna be successful towards digital transformation and effective use of machine learning, automation, and in general, AI tools, uh, that we need to start talking about AI and ML in context. Uh, because when we deliver uh, data science and machine learning tools and capabilities uh, to provide effective and efficient service to the American people, we need also to think about them in a strategic way as well as a tactical way uh, in, and while protecting security, privacy, and confidentiality. So the point is that machine learning focus on the ability of machine to interact with data. So it can learn and even change an algorithm, like Cathy uh, uh, said, it's an iterative process. It, the algorithm can change as it receives, receives more data. So it's a living software. But the way we look at it at NTIS, we look at it at the, this is just a tactical level, it's a tool. Uh, so, so machine learning is actually a subset of AI. So AI, we look at it more like a strategic level because AI brings us the cognitive ability to grow, learn, and carry out tasks based on, on algorithms. So the idea is by shoring up your IT infrastructure, maturing your data infrastructure, developing a data analytics framework, you're able to more quickly adapt and react, but also becoming proactive to predictive analytics to address issues before they become crisis. Uh, and the other point is that when you start actually using machine learning tools in, to addressing specific problems, you're actually also creating a repository of tools that you can repurpose using different data sets, uh, different purpose, uh, uh, can be as simple as using data visualization, dashboard, or what Sanjay has mentioned, uh, NLP to, to uh, uh, go to emails, etc. And eventually more advanced tools, uh, supervised learning tool, unsupervised learning tool, or even transfer learning tools to address uh, bigger issues and, and, and uh, national data challenges. Great, thank you for that. And uh, we'll move over to Gustavo. And I guess you're like kind of like our security person on this panel. I know you do deal a lot with the CDM program and, and how yeah. that's a fun, yeah. that's a fun I'm, job. Yeah. I, I get to be the, 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 the individual who kind of like, you know, tears everything back down. Um, actually, I was a, a CTO for Weather Service nine years prior to, uh, to this position. So, um, but you know, from, uh, from the perspective of, of today's discussion, you know, uh, my focus is actually would be more on the automation side. So, you know, as most of us know, you know, back when 
and uh, you know, March, uh, the entire world changed. So, you know, the ability for uh, individuals to do their jobs, you know, went uh, went from a, uh, a very, uh, you know, hands-on approach to a very distributed um, approach. And, you know, with NOAA, we're, uh, we're one of the few agencies, if not the only agency in, in government who, uh, you know, we actually have studies from the bottom of the ocean to the surface of the sun. So, you know, we cover the entire gamut and and, you know, likewise, we have, you know, uh, Weather Service, which is, uh, you know, responsible for life and property systems of, of the American people and the U.S. economy. Um, so how do you go from, uh, you know, a I'm in the office environment to all of a sudden everybody's out of the office um, and automating the, the capabilities to keep those systems connected, keep those systems running, um, and then start tying in, yeah, some of the machine learning to, you know, simplify those processes, uh, you know, because when we first started, um, you know, we went from, you know, while we're in security, we also do, you know, operational support. Um, the same security tools that we use for, for, you know, endpoint reporting is what we use to actually manage. Um, and the requirements for, you know, what we had to provide went up around 400%, while the staffing level, you know, didn't go up 400%. So um, that's, you know, that's, I think, the situation that we all faced. Um, and you know, through uh, through the ability to start automating it and learning, um, and and automating some of that learning, um, I think we'll actually be able to continue in this mode for uh, for at least the unforeseeable future. Uh, thank you, and uh, Peter, I'd love to hear your perspectives. Uh, what you see, you have the ability to see things across government, and what is private industry doing, financial, and uh, kind of keep give us an update. We had a really good info conversation about the idea act and, and let, let let some folks know about that and how it's progressing and uh, no sure and i appreciate that and, and certainly um yeah i'd like to maybe kind of jump on where, where sanjay talked about sba but maybe take a step back so what sanjay was talking to SBA is government doing you know, they use the word marketing automation but being able to send communications out to constituents um, and things of those nature. So what we're seeing commercially, and actually it is starting to really um, propagate across government is like, how can you start, you know, taking, you know, building, you know, using actually machine learning to build profiles of users. Um, you know, in the case of, you know, SBA sending notices out about, you know, upcoming loans with COVID and all these kinds of things. How can you actually use that to build you know, profiles and personas so that when, you know, those end users, the public, you know, other agencies, when they come back into the environment, you're actually personalizing the entire experience and, you know, versus coming back to generic information. So we, we all see that on the commercial side, but now, you know, we're seeing it more in the government side. And certainly one of the, the challenges is, has been the security side um, as, you know, you know, not all you can't build personas and profiles of all users come to federal websites. However, in the case of you know, Sonia, I'll just pick on your your um, your solution set is that you know, people public that have opted in and I've raised my hand. Um, I'm willing to accept information from the government on these different topics and areas. So now you can use you can actually use that information. How do you you know end up personalizing it? You know for that you know, for that user when they come back to sba.gov or you know, ssa.gov or, or what have you. So we're, we're starting to see those kinds of models um, really start to take hold. Um, so hopefully, and then that ties into the, the whole idea act and user-centered design and making, you know, obviously the government systems, whether it's for the public or, you know, it's the employees as well. You know, the, the tools that they're using, you know, you know, are actually responsive and, you know, are meeting the, addressing the mission needs. So, you know, I'd say from the, the COVID side of things, um, you know, e-government's not a new topic, um, but I will say, you know, it is definitely forced agencies. Um, it's really pushing envelope because we have to do all this stuff online, you know, today. So. Yeah, I, I thank you for that, Peter. And I, I want to just dive into what Peter brought up there right at the end is, how has COVID-19, it's actually the topic of what we're trying to talk today, how has COVID-19 made you take a look in your, inside your agencies and uh, change some things? Like uh, what Peter was, to, to build on what Peter said, 
you can't wield your wheel your 96 year old grandmother into the social security office anymore uh, to get some paperwork filled out. Uh, you have to, uh, we have to come up with some different kinds of systems and in, in the digital transformation side. Maybe Sanjay, you can add a little more color on that. Just start off with you, but I wanna hear what everybody else has to say. Certainly, yeah. So this is uh, clearly the last seven months have demonstrated if anything else is the fact that uh, we're trying to get rid of paper, if you will. I mean, we've been forced into that situation and I would like to believe that we can continue on with that model uh, going forward. So I'll give you a simple case in point about digital signatures. Uh, since, you know, broadly speaking, think of SBA as like an investment bank uh, for the small business community. So, so that's what we do is, you know, provide that. And I want to give another interesting statistic. Uh, we, in the COVID uh, timeframe, about seven months, we've issued about nearly 10 million loans to the amount of about $750 billion. And that continues on, by the way. So, so we're talking about a very large volume and, and a very large high velocity of the transactions we're dealing with. So let me give you kind of two specific instances. Hopefully that'll also resonate uh, with the audience here and the panelists. So for example, uh, I know um, uh, we, we talked about uh, anomaly-based uh, uh, detection, if you will, using machine learning. Uh, and I think, so I'll give you two examples of how we had implemented some cybersecurity tools, cloud-based tools, which allows us to build those user personas. And, and, and so I'll give you a simple example. So let's say I logged into the SBN network at 8 a.m. Eastern this morning. Uh, let's say at 9 a.m. Eastern, my login is detected coming in from a IP address, which belongs in Los Angeles, California. Clearly, I couldn't be in 60 minutes in DC and Los Angeles, California. So what that does is it knows that this is simply an improbable travel alert and will notify our security operations uh, engineers and the analysts to say, something looks off here. Can you please check? Uh, another simple example of how these anomaly-based detection tools, which we've already implemented, uh, are, are doing is uh, they build user personas. So let's take another example. Let's say in a given day, I get 300 emails and, and I get uh, say 50 uh, megabytes of you know, attachments come in it. And I usually delete, let's say, you know, 20 megabytes of you know, email and or attachments uh, on, on a particular day. And then again, it knows my profile, say 8 a.m. to say 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. Eastern is what usually I'm logged into the system, if you will, right? So one day, let's say I'm logged into the system in the middle of the night, and let's say I'm either downloading or deleting a large amount of uh, data, which is anomalous to my user profile. That will raise an alert and send an information out to the uh, our security analyst to say, check this and see if there's something going on here, which is unusual, right? So these kind of tools are in place today. We are using them, we've been using them. And those are some of the things that helped us actually overcome the surge in our staffing uh, and, and I'll give another example. So when we move to 100% telework status, uh, we have been able to knock on wood, uh, our security uh, posture fairly consistently from when we were all on premises before the COVID crisis. For the simple reason that, because the way we implemented our cybersecurity posture and the tools that I'm talking about, they don't really care where you're connected from. Uh, we didn't really have to make much of a change in our environment because mm -hmm the way we were looking at security was using these kind of tools. And they allowed us to maintain a, a, a uniform and a consistent cybersecurity posture going forward. One final example I'll kind of give, and which sort of does not kind of fall, fall on the AI ML uh, uh, realm is uh, something called geofencing. So early on into the uh, COVID crisis, I was looking at a dashboard, which basically shows me the traffic coming from um, all the traffic that's coming into our, our web portals. And I noticed that our traffic, and it was just a simple a geographic map, a global map, and it showed me the traffic. And you know, as you can imagine, I could see there was traffic coming from outside the continental United States. So working with my CISO, I said, something looks off here. The CARES Act program is meant for the citizens of the continental United States. Why are we getting traffic from the outside? And so we just implemented a concept called geofencing, which basically disallowed any traffic which was originating from outside the continental United States. I know that's granted, that's not a uh, AI ML implementation, but this is about innovation, looking at technology, the visibility into environment allowed me to then do that and took a few hours for our uh, cyber team to just implement that. And not only it protected uh, our environment, but it also probably you know, pr protected us from applications coming in, which probably did not qualify. Uh, but anyway, there, there are many, many more examples I can talk about, but I'll, I'll let the other yeah. panelists chime in. That last example, that's like the easy button, but it probably saved, yeah you know, your organization so much time saved 
we're talking yeah. big dollars that you were dealing with, $750 billion. It probably right. saved billions of dollars, that one quick fix. Yep. Uh, Kathy, uh, what has the, been the demand at GSA um, from your customers in regards to COVID-19? What's changed? Has anything changed, accelerated? Love to yeah, hear that you're it's, it's been um, quite interesting. Um, cloud services, as both um, Sanjay and Gustavo have mentioned, um, having to create a remote workforce really accelerated the need to deploy cloud services. And I think that's very positive when it comes to IT modernization. Although we had to do it under circumstances we'd rather not be, be doing it under, the end result is going to be now we set the stage to where we can start to look more strategically how we can use AI and machine learning to move the needle forward in serving our public constituencies. So I think we've laid some foundational work that will now allow us to move forward. And, and um, I think Shakib would also probably fall into that category that we're starting to um, land on that uh, strategic play with AI and machine learning, as well as how we manage our data. Great, great. And Shakib, if you just want to pick that up. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a very important point is that, uh, you know, uh, Katie said, uh, a lot of agencies uh, try to say, uh, how do we start in AI and ML? I mean, they know that it's a very effective tools, but they want to know how to start. And some of them say, where should, when should we start? <laughs> uh, well, immediately, that now that uh, that's, the silver, that's the silver lining from the pandemic, that's really accelerated that, uh, that uh, uh, to, uh, to uh, exhibit that it's very important to start early because AI and ML are, are fundamentally based on data. So, and data is created every day and coming in every day. So we, you need to uh, right away develop the data governance policies to have the infrastructure and the data management tools and the talent to actually uh, um, ingest the data, curate it and, and, and prepare it for, for analysis. So whenever we start with an agency, we, we, yeah, we look at a specific problem that they wanna address uh, like any other type of project, you, you start looking at, focus on the problem. And eventually, of course, AI and MLs are so powerful that they're gonna be part of the solution. But, so when you start looking at the problem, you start looking at, and then you wanna apply an AI or ML uh, uh, solution, you start looking at the data. And then you start like uh, working first, and that's the first level, yeah, as, a, as a, a strengthening the data infrastructure, uh, developing strong data governance rules, and then, and then, uh, taking advantage of the infrastructure eventually if, if needed move to the cloud uh, but and then if something else happened and that's my, my main point here is that when you develop solutions uh, like Sanjay said about uh, um, you know NLP to handle email or anomaly detection algorithms to handle illegal payments etc you actually not only solidifying your, your data resources but also use solution resources to ML because you can repurpose those, those algorithms to other problems. Uh, so examples that we, I can share with you is that for instance, with the um, HHS OIG, we work with HHS OIG. It's, a, it's, it's the largest OIG in, the, in government. And HHS is a, is a very large agency with a trillion dollar spend. So it's a trillion dollars with a T, so it's very large. And uh, because they, are, they manage Medicare, so a very important aspect of their job was actually to look at illegal payments uh, within Emeka. They want to make sure that every dollar spent is, uh, is uh, legitimately spent. Uh, so uh, by working with them and using AI MLA tools, uh, we, we start developing some uh, um, uh, uh, to anomaly detection. They were able to actually augment uh, the, uh, the, the personnel that, they, that are focused on actually identifying illegal transactions and so on and so forth. Another example that I can share with you that where where was also jumping and repurposing the, the effort is with the DHS CISA. So we, we worked with the uh, uh, CISA on a project to support the critical infrastructure risk analysis. So uh, as you know, critical infrastructure uh, describe the physical and cyber systems and assets that are so vital to the nation that the incapacitation or destruction will have a debilitating effect on our physical or economic security or public health. So when we worked with them on this project, we had two goals. We, the first goal was to uh, look at potential likelihood 
of, uh, of uh, uh, catastrophic event and how we can predict them using machine learning and artificial intelligence. And number two is to estimate the potential impact, especially looking at dependencies uh, and then see what will be the cascading effect on, on, on the national critical infrastructure. So while we were working on this, uh, COVID-19 happened. <laughs> so, so, so that uh, effort actually start like moving towards, let's use COVID-19 data to see how we're doing with that. And, and it, it led the DHS to, uh, to issue some uh, uh, guidelines about, about uh, how to support ongoing infrastructure across the nation while uh, making sure that everybody's safe under the CDC guidelines for, for COVID. So that's how you can repurpose uh, a solution and tool uh, to AI. So, so it's very important. Great answer. Uh Gustavo, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it to you about the, the, some of the things that have changed in your life. I know a lot of people are going out remote computing. And what, what changed in your life uh, once we uh, shut down our offices? You know, so, so oddly enough, Tom, I, I was actually, um, I'm a full-time telework. I'm, I'm down in North Carolina. Um, and uh, I, I was already used to the remote world. Um, so I, and I was ready for the, the I was kind of ready for it until I realized now that everybody's not in the office, uh, people don't have drive-bys, so you get a lot more busier. Um, but just to expand upon what he just said with regard to reuse, you know, everybody under everybody's probably heard that that dreaded you know uh, request um, that comes down from you know either DHS or OMB or um, you know one of the other agencies. It's called a data car. You know, so if you take uh, if you take things in, in terms of you know everybody's received these data cars. Um, what, one of the things that we did is, you know, not only on the security side and having to secure the systems, but when we talk about, you know, things that have, have increased, how have you, how's it shaped things, you know, e even something as similar, as simple as a data cause had to really change in how we actually take care of it. Um, and, you know, from the perspective of reuse, you know, we actually take our systems now and say, you know what, if you're going to, if you're going to run a report, here are the common fields to use. You know, so we've got a, a limited set of fields that we, we require on every field, I'm sorry, on, on every report so that, you know, not only from a tools perspective, but from a data perspective, um, we can start getting in and, and analyzing that data because we've got the same formats over and over and over. And, you know, we all know history repeats itself. You know, so we get into the, the ability to actually have machine, you know, readable formats for the data um, and, you know, now that we're all, you know, dispersed, we can't huddle up in a room together and, and try to, you know, determine what's going on with, you know, this report or that report, but instead be able to use that centralized template um, and really automate how we, you know, analyze uh, uh, and, you know, portray, you know, the, the actual data. So, you know, it, it kind of goes to the question that's on the, on the Q&A right now, um, you know, the question uh, from Ramon. You know, you know, how effective approach the skill set gap on federal employees, not only the technical practitioners, but also the decision maker side. So if you think about it in terms, if you think about the evolution of IT, especially when we, when we with, you know, AI with machine learning, um, go back to the, to the late 90s, um, you know, uh, early 2000s when the, when the world's boom was right around HTML. You know, HTML is just a layout, just a format of how you're showing your data. The truth of the matter is it's all data. You know, now we're in a real data-centric environment, which lends itself to the ability to actually automate it, you know, to apply, you know, artificial intelligence principles to, you know, to assisting in, in the decision makers. And, 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 you know, to his question there, you know, how do we, you know, what do we do on the skill set gap? Um, for the decision makers, I, I can speak on primarily, and, you know, it's, you know, it's essentially assuring that the decision makers understand that we have to turn to a methodology that we can, we, you know, we, we program AI. It doesn't program itself. Yes, it has the ability to make changes, but, you know, it, it is, uh, is in a lot more cases, the, the uh, you know, the, the simple fact that data doesn't lie, numbers don't lie. So, you know, getting folks to understand that, um, you know, has been a hard part and, and that's really, you know, picked up, you know, from the COVID perspective, because 
when we put the reports out, you know, and our management looks at them, those are raw numbers. They don't lie. So. Yep. Fantastic. And, and Peter, what, what have, since this started, what, what are you finding agencies are calling you about? What, what use cases, different use cases? And is, you know, it's obviously accelerated a, f a few areas there. I'd love to hear your perspectives. Yeah, no, certainly. Um, yeah, so Aqua, we had a lot of customers over within HHS. Um, so, I mean, we've been directly reached out by many of them that had to, you know, stand up, you know, informational COVID sites um, that are, you know, providing valuable information. So, you know, they, they certainly, you know, look to a platform that's, you know, open API based. Um, so we've seen that, you know, whether it's CARES Act or, you know, for um, a lot of the uh, you know, healthcare NIH, you know, not NIH, but a lot of the, the COVID sites that they've had to stand up very quickly. Um, and then, you know, we've seen some other pretty large cabinet agencies that, you know, are realizing that COVID is just completely, you know, causing them finally to get, a, I would say, get around to it. But we got to change our business model um, really to the point of, you know, I can't have, you know, citizens going to some, you know, government office in downtown Baltimore or, or wherever it might be that all of a sudden, you know, you're going to have to do this online. It's going to have to be useful and very, uh, you know, functional. So we're definitely seeing that drive. Um, I, I think the one thing I wanted to kind of maybe uh, tap into, and I think it was, Chabot, you talked about like OIG offices. So I think what we're seeing, if you steal from the, I wouldn't say steal from the commercial side, um, but, you know, technologies for machine learning around marketing automation um, have some pretty interesting plays within government. So we've uh, had a number of conversations with, you know, organizations like OIGs or, or law enforcement organizations that, you know, are trying to deal with like tips coming inbound. You know, all of a sudden I've got this huge bucket of, you know, bad guy tips. And how do you figure out which one of these should I run down? So we've been, you know, trying to take that that idea and turn it backwards. So if you look at the commercial world and salespeople, you know, they're getting inbound leads coming into their company websites. They're trying to identify, categorize them and figure out, hey, which is the most probable one that I need to go contact with? So now it's like using machine learning type technologies to, to reverse that. So if you've had thousands of tips coming into a law enforcement agency, let's say, um, how do you score them? How do you rank them? You know, which one's the most qualified, you know, lead, I'll say. So, you know, that I find interesting is trying to use those types of models, um, you know, coming back, you know, that you'd use, let's say, to sell technology. How could you use it to, you know, help you consume? Great, great. We, and I want to elaborate on a question. We've gotten two. The first one is, why didn't I introduce Peter? But then we got a better one than that. Uh, uh, my question is, how many federal agencies approach the skill set gap on federal employees, not only from the technology practitioner side, but also on the decision maker side? This is critical in identifying what agency problems are better suited for ML solutions. Um, maybe we'll start off with you, Kathy. Sure. How, do you, how do you get this transform this agency? You're going in there. Yeah, Go so um, within GSA, we actually have something called communities of practice. Um, and within the communities of practice, there is an AI community of practice, which puts out a lot of seminars and briefings to all levels within agencies um, about AI and machine learning. Um, the other thing, as a part of the centers of excellence, we will sit down with decision makers and uh, provide training to them. Um, we've been doing some training specifically with uh, Department of Transportation and other agencies, just helping them understand the domain of AI. And, and I think it's a really good question because, you know, AI is almost like generic these days. And I think it was um, Shakib who said, you know, this is data is now strategic in an organization and AI rides the data. Well, there's lots of data analytics tools and there's lots of data aggregation tools and they may or may not be true artificial intelligence and machine learning tools, um, but they all kind of end up falling into that domain of artificial intelligence and machine learning. So what we are trying to do is to help distinguish between those um, tool, tool sets there. Um, the other thing that I think, um, and, and we think about this a lot um, when, our, when we're working with our agencies is, um, you know, when we think about the data, it can be pretty overwhelming because you could have petabytes of data 
just sitting out there and you think, oh, well, you know, I've got to get it all clean. I've got to get all the integrity in place. I've got to understand all of my domain of data. And, and um, from our perspective, we think that understand kind of sources of data and then start to leverage the tools that we have today because they're much more advanced than we did 10 and 20 years ago where we had to get all of our data in order before we could apply the tools. Use the tools we have today to start to sift through the data and understand the state of the data. Um, we find that to be an effective way to help agencies move forward in what they're doing. Um, and and um, I think that helps accelerate the process of introducing machine learning and um, artificial intelligence. Um, that also helps the teams back to the original question, which is helps the teams learn about what it is that's valuable to an AI process, an AI strategy, and a machine process. No, I think that's a good answer. and. Uh... You know, one of the things we're trying to do is we're launching a workforce transformation group. You know, we had these great technology. We're talking about AI. It's fantastic. Except that how do we train people, upskill them, bring new people into the government? It's not just one. It's all the above strategy. You know, you know some of the vendors, you know, some agencies are like, oh, it's vendor training. It's not that good. It's better than you can, you can learn a lot of vendor training. It's not the only thing you need, but it, it's you might as well leverage it. Uh, Sanjay, you want to add add something to that? Yeah, absolutely, and that. Um, so I kind of want to start with a, just a simple uh, context around AI, and and usually what I start with is the fact that there is the simple case of creators and consumers, and what I mean by that is creators are the people who write the algorithms, uh, and consumers are the people who consume those algorithms. Right? <coughs> Pardon me. The vast majority of us, and and I'll almost venture to say maybe with the exception of one or two of us here, uh, are entirely going to be consumers of something that's already been created. And so the, when we talk about the skills gap, I think, <coughs> pardon me, the skills gap is certainly more large when you talk in the creation space. Creation as in creating algorithms, right? Training the algorithm uh, and then refining that piece. So uh, what I'm trying to say also is the examples I shared about anomaly detection that's inbuilt in our tools. We had to do nothing. And in fact, those tools really did not require us to do anything around artificial intelligence. And quite frankly, because in my definition there, the subset like Shakib talked about, ML is a subset of AI, right? So yeah, generally we talk about AI in a broad sense, but this is specifically an ML piece. And anomaly detection is something made through the tool enabled for us. And quite frankly, the way it is enabled is almost too simplistic uh, for, for anybody to not be able to use it because the alert basically tells you exactly what I said about, you know, uh, it's an anomaly based on your user pattern, right? And now you need to investigate it further and do some action on it. So, so my, my point really here is that uh, when we look about sales gap and workforce training, I think we need to put ourselves in those two categories. My, my sincere hope is that, you know, like 99% of the user base uh, is going to be in the consumer category. Uh, so yes, we need to be aware of what the algorithms behind the, the scenes and the tools are, are provisioning or providing you uh, and be cognizant of it, but you necessarily are not writing those algorithms. The 1% who write the algorithms are the ones where the biggest skill gap exists. Uh, so so uh, not to say that it do not need to be addressed, but the, the, the probably the DODs and the intelligence communities are the ones who are writing algorithms. Probably the, the resource gap or the skills gap is more pronounced in that area. Great, great. Shakib? Yeah, I, mean, I think Sanjay made a, a great point there. I, I would just uh, say a little bit more about it. Uh, yeah, I see it like a, a creators, consumers, but I will add another category of what I would call orchestrators. Uh, and that's part of the, the general idea, again, of, of using AI as, a, as a, at the strategic level, like Cathy uh, also agreed. Um, because you need, uh, yeah, you need people to, to be more data literate and to have data acumen and, and know how to use data and, and see the importance of data. And like uh, uh, Gustavo said, it's also very important for decision makers to, to appreciate the value of the data and the insight that they get from ML uh, and AI solutions. But uh, you also need uh, to work at the strategic level how to best use machine learning tools and AI tools to achieve your, your mission. Unfortunately, um, and it's critical to, to have the talent uh, within the government to do that. Unfortunately, we, are, 
we are a long way from that. Uh, yeah, I, I second Cathy. I think GSA has uh, the community of practice AI. I'm part of it. If you are from the government, uh, please reach out uh, to join that group. It's, it's very helpful. But what people don't know is that at the, um, at the, uh, the government, we don't even have the uh, data scientists labor category yet. Uh, I worked actually uh, with OPM and the census uh, on, on, on trying to develop uh, a, a, a good definition for that and, and set up what's the role and responsibilities and the skills that are supposed to be part of that. Uh, unfortunately, it was just uh, COVID happened and then that effort has, has uh, I think, been suspended for now. Uh, and there is some efforts within the government, OMB, for instance, uh, uh, that where they have like a pilot program to, to, to train uh, governmental uh, uh, workers, employees, to, uh, in, into the, to encourage them to get into the data sciences, like you said, to the workforce transformation or reskilling, et cetera. So that's a great effort there. Um, but we need, again, all those three categories that uh, uh, all, all, all of them are needed uh, at the government level. So either from the creation perspective, from the, uh, the, the consumption perspective, or for the equestration perspective. Great. Uh, Gustavo, you want to add anything? Um, no, I, um, actually, just a small, uh, short tidbit, you know, from the, from the consumer's perspective of the, of the data. Um, you know, I, that, you know as, as you said, you know, there's, there's not a role data scientist you know, position. Um, so, you know, whatever is going to be done from a from a skill set perspective, it really needs to be done from a true data scientist or, or you know, data perspective. And and I say that because uh, having worked at a, a statistics agency for for over nine years, um, you know, AI can't be treated like statistics because statistics is meant to disprove everything, not prove anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's good. And, and Peter, I mean, uh, it's an old rule in software that it's great to sell them the software, sell the government the software, but if they don't understand and they don't, they don't understand what the, what the capabilities are, how do you help government agencies when, once they get an instance of, you know, once they get your software, how do they maximize? How do they understand it? No, sure. And certainly, you know, the primary software, you know, we're open source, so it, it's Drupal. Um, and, you know, we've all been in government for, for years. Um, and so what's really unique about it is that, you know, you, you try to work with organizations so they're not beholden to any software company or any implementer that's out there. So what we try to do with, you know, what's so great about like open source communities, you know, I'll pick on Drupal because that's what we're tied to. Um, the open source community here in government is enormous. So what we try to do is, um, you know, Kathy, I think you talked about like centers of excellence. Um, we've seen so many federal agencies create their own centers of excellence, excuse me, excellence around, you know, in this case, Drupal, um, you know, where they're taking ownership, you know, of the software, where it's going, it's their product. Um, so they're not having to be reliant on, you know, as much as I'm a commercial company, we provide support. Um, but, you know, that makes a difference when, you know, you actually can have, you know, federal, you know, employees or DOD employees, you know, for learning skill sets to adopt it, you know, and it's part of why open source in just in general, you know, has been so, um, you know, well received within government um, because it does, you know, it does require centers of excellence. And um, it's something where you don't have to go to company XYZ to go, how do I fix this darn thing? Or, you know, this is what it comes with out of the box. It just creates innovation um, straightforward. So, you know, that's how we as a company try to approach it. It's a little different. Um, than other software companies. Yeah, no, that makes a good sense approach. to anybody. But yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, I'm going to go, Alyssa. We're getting too close to the end. This conversation is going just going too fast. Uh, uh, I would love to do a poll real quick. We got a pretty engaged audience. They're definitely not shy. Um, I'd love to hear. So our first question is. Um, where do you see the organization in, in the machine learning adoption curve? If we can answer that real quick, I. I, I we can answer that, give it about another 10 seconds. I think people got it. Go ahead, let's publish it, Alyssa. Hmm. What is, what, I, it's not surprising. Um, I think we're kind of more toward the beginning than the end on this one. Does anybody else have any comments? 
Um, this is Sanjay. I think I, I'll, I'll make a quick comment on that, Tom. I think part of it is uh, the fact that a lot of the tools, specifically the software as a service tool, they are embedding uh, machine learning capabilities within their tool sets. And, and un, unless you sort of understand how they are getting to that, like an anomaly detection example, supervised or unsupervised, or sort of those aspects, you don't probably even know that you're using machine learning uh, yeah. from, from the from the tool stand, standpoint. So, so I can I can see that some of the responses sort of show on the early side, uh, maybe driven from the fact that um, there may not exactly be a full recognition that there are some machine learning capabilities built inside the tools that they may already be using. For case in point, Office 365, we probably, I would venture to say 98% of the people on the call today are using some uh, capability that Office 365. And you'd be surprised to know there's a lot of machine learning capabilities they already introduced yeah. in the, uh, the, the tool suit that you know, we all are using, but we are not necessarily recognizing it that way. Yeah, you know, I think that, go ahead. Oh, let me jump in there. So I think Sanjay is absolutely correct, Tom. Um, the other thing I think that we see often um, from the centers of excellence is robotic process automation. And I think that is, falls into um, the more basic capabilities for machine learning. Um, we see a lot of demand for that. I think agencies um, see that as a, a way to get early adoption, um, to really drive automation on low value work so that the um, intelligent workforce can then focus on uh, more meaningful work. Um, and so we're seeing huge progress there. That would just, that's just it. Yep, I think so. Anybody else? Yeah, I agree with, uh, just check if I, I agree with uh, Sanche and Kathy. Uh, I think if you look at the federal spectrum in terms of uh, ML adoption, um, there is a lot of small project uh, where you use RPA, like Kathy uh, uh, said, and, 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 and some predictive models, uh, like Sanjay mentioned. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have some very advanced uh, uh, analytic uh, capabilities, like for instance, at Jake or at DHS, when, where we were working on some very complex uh, um, uh, problems, including adversarial attacks and, and and uh, you know, uh, um, uh, 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 cybersecurity issues, uh, etc. Uh, the problem is in the middle. <laughs> a, a lot of uh, agencies are kind of like don't know what to do next. Uh, they they started a little bit, but they they are still trying to figure out their way. And again, the uh, the suggestion is to get started as soon as possible and start working on the fundamentals, the foundation, which is your IT infrastructure your data infrastructure, and uh, what we mentioned before, <laughs> hire some talent, <laughs> hire some data scientists to help with that, with, with that process. Take, takes, lot, takes an awful lot of horsepower. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Peter, we're getting closer to the end of the beginning, as they say. Well, how, um, I'm gonna go ahead and give you the last word. Um, what's your take on this subject? Yeah, no, um, actually it's a great, it's actually a great uh, topic, you know, I'd say, I'd say it's also driven by the mission of the organization. Um, you know, certainly, you know, depends on what is the data you're trying to crunch, you know, you know, where, where's this pandemic going to hit or, you know, I can see AI very advanced over in the military, you know, for, you know, for various, you know, purposes and all of that. Um, but I think, you know, even with moving to the cloud, if we started looking at that, you know, not everything needs to need it or needs to move to the cloud. So I think it's, you know, also organizations looking at, okay, let's prioritize, you know, which one of these applications, data sets, you know, or processes do we do today? You know, should we be trying to figure out what's the low hanging fruit that, you know, machine learning, maybe start there and AI could potentially play to. Um, so I think that's, you know, that's probably where agencies need to get started. Um, but you know, it's candidly, I, I think it's going to a lot of it's going to be just around the mission of, you know, what does this agency do? You know, weather service, they got a pretty big mission, you know, and certainly things like AI could certainly, you know, I want to know what the weather is going to be on my street tomorrow. You know, are we there yet? <laughs> Not yet. But, you know, those kinds of kind of tools play. But yeah, I think we're getting there. I mean, I think we're definitely getting there as a, as a country. Yeah, I think we are too, and, and uh, it's been great when these agencies are trying small things um, throughout them. That's the way to break into break into this. You know, you don't have to like do the most advanced thing ever done. You just need to some some simple things get people used to it, and 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 that that'll speed the adoption. Well, thank you all for your uh, time. 
Um, enjoyed this panel a lot. Just uh, the hour went by quickly. Uh, thank you to the audience. So thank you, uh, Shakib, Sanjay, Gustavo, Kathy, and Peter. And uh, everybody have a good day. Oh yes, next week, uh, we be sure to join us. We're gonna be strengthening AI through emerging technologies. We got an all-star panel. And as far as this, we, we actually put this webinar up for, uh, for rebroadcast. And then we have this hot thing we're doing. We're doing, uh, you know, we're doing the, uh, what do you call them? The, uh, you know, the, the podcasts and they've been blowing up. People go on podcasts. Apparently they like to listen to this. So, uh, well, this, this uh, will be redistributed on podcasts and uh, for any colleagues that you want to send it to, or if you want to re-listen to it yourself. So everybody have a good rest of the day and uh, enjoy the weekend. Thank you. Tom. Take care.